With the new year comes new regulations, new laws, a new chance to get the farm bill done. There's a lot going on for our nation's farmers and ranchers. To get a perspective from the livestock industry, I talked with Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Ethan Lane. And you can hear why he says the constant threats of government shutdown are toxic for ag businesses. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and this is the AgNet Weekly. Let's talk about um, appropriations and funding and what you are thinking of for NCBA and what you think we can be, what we'll be seeing this year. Sure. You know, all of agriculture is is watching the, uh, the the debate over government funding playing out on Capitol Hill at the moment. That first tranche of, of uh, continuing resolution spending authority that the government is operating under right now expires on January 19th. That first tranche includes critical programs for, for cattle producers and, and farmers and ranchers around the country with the ag appropriations bill being part of that package. So it really is going to be kind of all eyes on that discussion and how uh, the border security uh, fight is, is going to play into that and how Speaker Johnson is going to navigate the Freedom Caucus that's already criticizing the deal that he has uh, struck with, uh, with uh, Chuck Schumer in the, in the U.S. Senate and what those prospects may be. Uh, you know, we're, we're back to talking about what a shutdown could mean uh, for, for the cattle producers, for the, for the ag industry in, uh, in particular, and, and, and across the economy um, as, as the Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill uh, battle over how to get this funding authority uh, completed and, and finished so they can get on to other business. And it's going to provide a roadmap, really, for what we can expect in farm bill discussions as the end of uh, this Congress kind of comes to a close over the next, uh, over the next 11 months. Uh, it, it really is going to be difficult with those tight majorities and shrinking majority for House Republicans with the departure of Kevin McCarthy and others uh, to get something done on a partisan-only basis. Uh, so what happens in the next two weeks with spending authority is going to be uh, a really good roadmap for what kind of fight we can expect on the farm bill in the coming months. Do you think with having the new Speaker of the House that that is going to make things more difficult by, you know, with somebody who has not been leading these discussions as a speaker does um, in the past? Well, I, you know, it, it, to, to a certain extent, this is such uncharted territory to have a narrow majority and, you know, a substantive group of people in your own party that basically aren't willing to take yes for an answer. They, they, they find fault with any deal that's struck. Um, what they really would like to see is a shutdown in some cases. Um, they're, they're, they're largely unconcerned with the economic impacts to their own, um, you know, rural constituents in some, in some instances uh, that that could, that that could uh, breed. Um, so whether it's Speaker Johnson newly minted in that role or whether Kevin McCarthy were still the speaker, I think the same challenges persist in navigating this environment. Um, you know, Speaker Johnson is a, uh, is a principled guy. Um, he's a he's a principled conservative that that you know also I think recognizes the dangers of a shutdown, not just the economic dangers but the political dangers for the, for the Republican Party in, in uh, re-election mode as well. So I I don't think that his inexperience in this role is is complicating it. I, you know, a fresh set of eyes is not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it is a very difficult set of circumstances. It is, and you know, and you mentioned once again having to have the the conversation about shutdown or possibility of a shutdown. I may be completely off base, and if that's the case, feel free to tell me. But with facing this over and over again, as producers are, does that cause more of a problem in in business or just more stressors on the person in general as they're watching what's going on in our government, wondering what exactly is going to hold the future, and then we think that it's going to be settled, and then it's not. It seems like this routine that keeps happening here um, for the last, you know, several months 
is happening once again. Is that going to continue to have a strain, or do you think that, that we'll just be able to get by it and keep going? It's always a strain. Just like market volatility has been a, a big story in the cattle industry over the last few months, um, political instability also is detrimental to the business environment. If you don't know whether the government's going to be open next week, it's very difficult for you to plan in your business and, and, and do all the things that you need to do to be successful. So absolutely, instability, I, I, you know, volatility, those are words that are, that are always going to be toxic to a business environment, particularly a small business environment where they don't necessarily have capital to weather long-term shutdowns or massive market shocks. We've seen that time and time again over the last few years, and it's no different looking at these circumstances in front of us now. This is, this is always a problem for producers um, if, if they don't know whether the lights are going to be on tomorrow. Right. And as you said, it, it kind of leads into a discussion about the Farm Bill and what, you know, questions about what we will see as the Farm Bill discussions in Congress actually get rolling. Uh, do you think with the current political temperament that we're going to have a difficult discussion once again with Farm Bill? Obviously, Farm Bill was supposed to be passed in, you know, last year, and there were never even real discussions on creating the Farm Bill. Are we going to see, you know, real work on that in the coming months or... Do you think we're going to see more, even possibly another extension? I think that the ag committees, both Republicans and Democrats, on both the House and Senate side, are in a good spot and working diligently on a quality farm bill. Mm-hmm. The problems with the farm bill exist outside of that ag presence in Washington. It's the folks that don't feel they have as much at stake that want to use that farm bill process for political gain, that want to use it as a tool to uh, extract concessions in other areas, that think it's too much money to spend. Um, you know, you pick your, pick your issue with it, but it really is an issue outside of those uh, more honest brokers that are truly focused on, on what's best for agriculture. And I think we're blessed with really solid leadership, uh, both on the R&D side, uh, working through that bill, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, escape the, the, those larger challenges that we're seeing on funding and everything else. Um, and it is going to be a difficult path out of the ag committees and on to the to the larger bodies uh, to get that bill passed. A trillion dollars is a lot of money to spend anytime. It's an awful lot of money to spend in a campaign year in a highly partisan environment with extremely tight margins on Capitol Hill. So it it it, it all adds up to a, a really daunting task to try to get a farm bill to the president's desk um, before the election. Now I think that definitely leaves some room for lame duck after the election and some things like that. You know, we've heard people talk about it as maybe a, a good target, but that means they've got to start having those conversations about substance in the farm bill now. Um, and I think the, the, uh, the leadership on both sides of the Hill is, is prepared to do that. And I expect that'll start getting cranking here after they deal with this funding fight in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, and I should have specified too. You know, the the ag committees, as you said, have done quite a bit of work on the farm bill. It's outside of the ag committees that um, there's been a bit of a holdup, and you know, as you pointed out, a lot of differencing, different in opinions on the importance of aspects of the farm bill. Are, are there things that you that the NCBA is still hoping to see in the farm bill, and do you think that you will get the things that your producers need? You know, we're we're hopeful that that the Lawmakers on both sides of the hill are going to continue to recognize the importance of fully funding uh, things like the, the the vaccine bank to, to make sure we're adequately prepared to respond to a foot and mouth disease outbreak where we're ready to see one uh, return to the U.S. after 100 years. Uh, we, we're really focused on ensuring they continue to fund those voluntary conservation programs that are so critical to the U.S. cattle producers being the most sustainable in the world. They're producing the highest quality beef the world has ever seen with the lowest environmental footprint. And in part, that's due to those voluntary 
conservation programs that are authorized through the Farm Bill. Um, and, and we want to make sure that those risk management tools that are increasingly important to cattle producers, whether it's LRP or pasture rangeland and forage, um, continue to be available and available at scale uh, to small producers who don't have access to as many risk management tools. Uh, so we want to continue to highlight those items. We think that the, the lawmakers understand the importance of them. Um, but, you know, whenever deals are being cut, we want to make sure we don't end up on the cutting room floor with those priorities. So we're going to keep keep pushing them and keep educating about them and hope that, uh, hope that we end up in the finished product. So what about regulatory priorities for 2024? You know, 2023 was an interesting year for some regulations. What do you think we'll have coming for us this year? You know, we're, we're, we're watching with some concern uh, some of what we're seeing coming out of USDA. Obviously, they continue to be very focused on what they're calling their competition agenda. Um, you know, we believe as well that the competition is really important in the marketplace. Um, our producers want a fair environment to operate in, but they also want an ability to differentiate their product and, and, and seek premiums uh, for the cattle that they're raising. And, and they don't want to see a return to commodity cattle. They don't want USDA inserting themselves in the marketplace like they're trying to with their packers and stockyards rulemaking, uh, picking winners and losers, uh, or worse, pushing for an environment where everybody gets paid the same for their cattle regardless of what they are. And that's the danger um, of some of the, 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 the ideas that are being contemplated in the Packers and Stockyards rulemaking that uh, Secretary Vilsack has been pushing for, uh, again, in his second term here in office. Um, you know, we're also watching carefully as they work through new labeling requirements for the product of the USA label to ensure that that uh, arrives at a point where, um, you know, we, we fix the loophole that product of the USA has, has had for some time that allows retailers uh, to kind of just stamp that on whatever package they want. We want to see that go away, but we want to make sure that's replaced with a system that, that delivers premiums to producers for the product that they're producing, rather than just a, a kind of a, a lip service label uh, at the end of the supply chain. So we'll be watching that roll out as well. Um, we're also watching closely the, uh, the, the progress of the traceability rulemaking uh, for electronic ID to make sure that that finished product doesn't put uh, unnecessary burden on producers, that it protects their data security, um, that it doesn't result in additional costs uh, for those producers, but that it provides a system that we need to make sure that we can respond uh, uh, to, to a disease outbreak with uh, a traceability system that's nationally significant and, and ideally as voluntary as possible. A lot of questions come to mind, but, you know, going back to the the Packers and Stockyards, and you mentioned something that um, stood out to me, and I just want to highlight it a little bit, but the idea of being paid the same for all cattle, regardless of quality. What could that do if, you know, if, I mean, it's like in any business, top quality items get, you know, top pay, right? It should be the same in cattle production. And if certain things go through, it might level that out so that producers who produce top quality cattle are getting the same amount as a lower quality. Is this... Yeah, 20 or 30 years ago, one out of every four beef eating experiences was a negative one for consumers. We've remedied that in the U.S. supply chain through massive increases in quality. As I said earlier, we're producing the highest quality beef in the U.S. right now that the world has ever seen. And, and we, we incentivize that through premiums in the marketplace, you know, better genetics, different feeding regimens, you know, meeting that consumer demand and producing what the consumer is looking for. And that comes through market signals. Those market signals are sent by the use uh, of sometimes in the cash market, depending on where you are in the country, sometimes, uh, you know, through the use of, of, of formula and grid transactions. Um, but, but regardless, that's, that's done through the use of the free market to send those market signals to producers in the form of premiums. 
So if we get to a point where USDA is inserting themselves in the marketplace through regulation um, in an effort to, to achieve their version of fairness, and, and, and if that version of fairness looks like someone who doesn't receive the same premiums you know, being able to litigate or litigate at scale um, on, on every one of those transactions, that is going to disincentivize the, the supply chain from, from paying out those premiums because it's not going to be worth it for the litigation risk. So while the, the objective of, of fairness in the marketplace and, and competition is a, is, a, is, a, is a worthy one, how you do it is critically important. And, and you don't want to disincentivize that innovation. You don't want to disincentivize that differentiation of product in the marketplace. And we're afraid that following the course the USDA is currently following, that's exactly what we're going to end up with. Do you think that uh, cattle producers' voices are being heard on this topic when it comes to the USDA? Are they responding to you know, the, the information they're being sent from the actual industry? You know, the Biden administration seems to be extremely focused on small and very small producers. And, and you know, that's the core of our membership, too. Um, but it, it, there seems to be sort of a, a, a you know, across a the administration, Bidenomics focus on punishing any business that gets too successful or grows too large. And, and whether we're talking about a family farm um, that, you know, that, that, that buys up the neighbor's property when, uh, when a family retires and doesn't have a, 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 you know, a, a child that wants to stay in the business, or whether we're talking about you know, a, a, a backgrounder that's picking up additional pasture land and growing their operation, um, you know, we want to make sure we're creating room for those businesses to grow and for those, for those business people uh, in the cattle business to, to have a vision of where they want to take their business. If we have a regulatory environment in this administration that, that punishes growth, that punishes success, um, that is extremely dangerous. And, and that is definitely something we're concerned with as far as where the Biden administration's focus is, who they are, are signaling that they're listening to, who they're prioritizing. Um, and, and so, you know, we're going to continue to voice our opinion. Uh, we're going to continue to point out that we're speaking on behalf of the largest assembled collection of cattle producers of anyone in this conversation, um, you know, and, and, and we're going to hope that they take that, that, that weight seriously and, and that they respect the views of tens of thousands of producers across the country. Thank you again to Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Ethan Lane. That's this week's AgNet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you for tuning in.